This is Multinew Media. Hi, everyone. I'm Chase Raz. One of the things about being a university instructor, corporate trainer, and just a public speaker in general is that you find yourself in some pretty weird places and situations. Sure, you're probably thinking that I mean sketchy office parks, corporate lockdown, prison scapes, we've all been there, or some pretty messed up wacky Wednesday or equivalent type stuff that you'd really have to work somewhere to understand. I do mean all of those, but I also mean standing alone, rehearsing my delivery of material to myself with no audience. Wow, it's kind of weird. As Multi-New Media transitions from its third to fourth year, we'll be in our fourth year next year, one of the things we're going to focus on is including a bit more of the real world, from projects to lecture series to plain old nitty-gritty how-to-get-it-done type of stuff. Some of this may fit really well into our podcast, but for everything else, we're not limiting ourselves to just the podcast. The Multi-New Media podcast is home. Treat it like that. It's the place that we sigh with relief to see, kick off our shoes, sit back a little bit. We settle into our comfy recording chairs across the table from each other or at distances away using telecommunications. But there's also other mediums for exploration, books for larger scale ideas, videos for how-to trainings, and the public forum for delivering speeches. What you're about to hear, not to be too twilight zone with what you're about to see but what you're about to hear combines a couple of these venues you're going to be hearing my first test run of a lecture series that i'm developing for public speaking engagements on the future of business and technology first up is cloud computing the plan is to put all the big ideas and takeaways from my work into a book to be released in 2018 as one of the aforementioned multi-new media projects And I don't just want to support that book by going on a book tour, but I want to provide extra value with what I can hopefully build into a true lecture series to provide even more information on the topic. So no, I don't have a podium in my personal office for rehearsing these talks or for corporate trainings or for class materials for that matter. But yes, I would put one in my office if I had the room. Not to be pushy, but I have objectives in mind and it's never too early to try to network for the end result. If you like what you hear and would like to book me to speak to your organization, either as a public speaker or as a part of this lecture series I'm planning, you can reach me at feedback at multinewmedia.com or on my Google Voice line at 863-606-8383. And maybe you're not responsible for booking your organization, and that's fine too. Just reach out to me with feedback on today's dry run. Your observations and insights would be very helpful. And the last thing I should let you know before we get started is that you're going to hear a series of beeps throughout this presentation. And the reason is I need to keep track of what's going on and let myself know what I need to do. This is very much a rough, rough draft of a presentation. So if you hear one beep, that's just me letting myself know that I'm disjointed for some reason because of my outline or my speaking. And I need to come back and solidify and make a point. Uh, Two beeps means that I cut out a long tangent. Three beeps means that I need to come back and tighten up my citations. And four beeps means that I have completely lost wherever I'm at. You will hear one really fun time where you hear six beeps. And that's not really six beeps. That's two beeps three times. That means three times in a row, back to back, I went on some pretty long tangents and just cut the whole thing out. All right. Thanks for listening. Here it is. 
a couple of years ago at my university, when I was teaching a class called Business Technology and E-Commerce, I had an assignment that eventually became one of the degree learning outcomes for the entire degree program. And the idea was that students had to pick from a well-manicured list uh, a selection of emerging technologies and talk about how they will not only monitor, but adapt to what's happening with these technologies in their industry. Now, their industry for most of these students was somewhere in the entertainment business, whether that was music, whether that was film, whether that was television, whatever that may be. And the idea of of having to ask yourself, what do I do with quantum computing or what do I do with cloud computing if I want to be an A&R person at a record label? Right? And, and one of the things that was not selected very often was cloud computing. I don't know if this is because cloud computing doesn't seem as sexy as molecular manufacturing. I mean, when you say, listen, you can build a replicator um, out of out of nearly the technology we have. It's, it's coming. It's coming. We have some amazing 3D printers that print all the way from plastic to metals to biological cells. I'm not feeling that opening. I want to, I, I want that information in. I want to take note of it, but um, I'm not feeling that. So I'm going to skip note to self. I'm skipping here. I'm just going to jump a little bit more in. Uh, so uh, assuming going down the cloud computing is not as sexy as other things, but cloud computing has a lot of opportunity and it's sexy to us. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's large. It's, it's so large that it's really hard to get our heads around it. So cloud computing has evolved so much. It's become amazingly simple to some degree. Now, I know it's very complex. I'm, here I am saying this. Here's this thing that we can't get our heads around. But by the way, it's becoming really simple. So let's, let's go back in time for a moment and compare what we have now. And let's compare that to the story for most of us as we were growing up on the web, as we were maybe in our early career, or for folks like me, who I was a teenager, uh, really a preteen when the web debuted and, and became its, its major commercial success. And as that teenager, for me, being the teenager who was making websites at, you know, preteen, 12, 13, 14 years old uh, for clients, for pay, let's compare these experiences. So back then, you had to know about your browser, what languages it supported. You, you knew HTML. You knew to avoid the blink and marquee tags that we pick on on multimedia so often. You knew to do all of that. But you also had to be, uh, you had to have your finger on the pulse of emerging technologies like CSS. Remember when CSS was an emerging technology? But not only did you have to go down the code and scripting side with CSS and JavaScript and Perl and PHP and all of the all of the great coding <laughs> refine that and all of the coding side of the house. But you also had to know how the server worked, how the web server worked. Taking a little pause for a drink. Mm. And knowing how the server worked was no easy feat. It's the idea of now you've got to start getting into an operating system because a server becomes an, an, an 
because the server becomes entwined with that operating system. And are we going to go with a powerhouse like Windows? Are we going to go a powerhouse with one of the Unix variants of, of operating systems? Are we going to go with this whole kind of new thing called Linux? And that's where we're at for the most part today. We know generally how that plays out, Linux and Windows. And we all have a different story with how we came to technology. Yours may not even be about the web. It could be about programming and basic, which, uh, I mean, who among us in, in, in tech do, doesn't have some type of story about programming and basic? And I imagine that the generation coming up now, the kids now, they're going to talk about programming and Blockly and then Google Blocks if it's in VR. And these are going to be the fundamental, found, or these are going to be the foundations for the current generation. But for us, you had to be a jack of all trades. You couldn't hyper-focus like you can now. You had to know a little bit about the code. You had to know about the scripting. You had to know about the server, the infrastructure, the business logic behind everything. You really had to be a true renaissance person in order to get to the point. And more importantly, whether you were successful or not, had nothing to do, or had very little to do, rather, with your intelligence or your aptitude or your ability. And it was all about exposure. You either had a good learning environment or you didn't. Now think about this for a moment. Think about the most lead people you know, and I mean 1337. Think about those lead hackers out there that drive you nuts. So I just became, um, a little side note here, um, right mid-sentence, I just became conscious that I'm recording this and um, not only recording it for myself and that tripped me up, uh, you know, when you're in front of people, you handle these things in real time. When you're not in front of people, the response just is is different. doesn't matter how much you do this line of work, how much you're on a podcast or in front of students or in front of corporate clients. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So the, my behavior here is different and I caught myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap that up. I know that I would find a transition within about the next 30 seconds, but here's where the transition goes to. So no longer do we need to be this jack of all trades. And I'm in the middle of a project right now, Amazon and their AWS cloud, working with a fairly new feature called LightSail. Now the, the purpose of LightSail was to say, look, if you are on the Amazon cloud, and if you're, if you're here today because you work with the cloud or wanna know with the cloud, you may know a little bit about this already. And this isn't gonna be a technical speech, so for those of you who don't care, don't worry. It's not gonna be that. But if you're working with Amazon's AWS or you're working with Azure, you have to know a little bit about that infrastructure for the most part. Whether you're working with uh, whether you're working infrastructure as a service or not, you know some degree. Because let's say you want to get some website hosting set up on Amazon's cloud. Sure, you can absolutely go straight forward and do some S3 using their S3 service or their simple storage. You can do that and set up a static website in a matter of minutes. But what happens when you need a, a programming language? And what happens when you need, uh, you know, some server variables? And what happens as you create a dynamic site, essentially? Well, on Amazon, you're, you're then taking a couple of different tools and you're putting them together. You're putting Route 53 for domain management and DNS, and you're matching that with EC2 for your actual server instance. And then, and just, it keeps going from there. How do you integrate all of these things? And then once you're integrated and create the product, how do you then manage the product? So cloud has been this hurdle 
that we not only have to know all of these things that we've needed to know before, historically, instead of being hyper-specialized, which most of us are surprisingly becoming, but we had to still fight that hyper-specialization and know not only how the Linux server was going to run, but how we should network that into DNS and how we should network that into a programming language and then how to utilize that programming language and then the scripting language. You get the point. So the project of, of LightSail from Amazon was to put all of the necessary things together for you behind the scenes. And I love that the adding a new layer of abstraction, and that's going to be important today. Adding that new layer of abstraction and making spinning up a server instance just a click away. So sure, it's a little more complicated than just clicking a button and there everything's done for you. But the idea is the server instance with a Bitnami image is ready for you to do whatever you want to do with it. Now, for most people, I think this is going to be great even for truly, even for customers and consumers. Now that may cut us out of the process a little bit and we need to be prepared and be ready for that and know what it means. If you're in the hosting business, you need to know what that means. If you're in the consulting business where you help small businesses and new entrepreneurs get established online and with their IT infrastructure, this is gonna impact your current operations, but you have a choice here. You can let, I'm gonna pause. I, I'm not feeling a cohesion in this opening. I'm going to need to finish this dry run once to then be able to come back and work in um, a couple of things that lead up to a big conclusion. So sure, you're going to have your workflow interrupted and you're going to have your business interrupted. But the true question is, how do you respond? Do you respond in a way that looks at new oper uh, new market opportunities and you take that opportunity and those or you take those opportunities? Or are you going to look at this and say, oh, my business is evaporating. It's going away. So with LightSail, what a lot of people I imagine are going to do, especially these amateur professionals, and I don't mean that in any disregard, but the amateur professional, someone who's running, you know, 10, 20 WordPress sites, and it's a, it's a labor of love and it's making them money, but maybe they can't even replace their full-time job doing that. Or maybe they have replaced their full-time job, but it's them or a small team of people not really spinning into a business. You know, the, the amateur professionals. They're going to come over to LightSail on Amazon's cloud, and they're going to spin up a few instances of WordPress and not have to manage a damn thing. It's there. They're not having to go out and pay for hosting. In all honesty, I think what people are going to do there, and, and some of your hosting businesses are doing this very well, is offering WordPress hosting for shared accounts. Multiple instance WordPress hosting, and that's a good idea taking a drink. I really should have hydrated before doing this. Uh, now I lost my place. Great. But now that this other opportunity exists, the costs, the time, the learning curve, they're just dwindling. It's becoming more economically possible to creatively float. I wanted to say creatively loaf, that's the name of a, a alternative publication in a couple different cities. It's becoming possible to just float around as a creative professional. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, as, as a part of this prediction of the future and looking at where things are now to see how we get there, yes, I think that businesses play a massive role in the future. You know, I, I won't shy away from it. I, I've been told everything from... You know, when I when when you take my predictions, when you take what I've worked into this book, 
assume I don't have a title, otherwise I'd reference title. I'll call it the book. What I've worked into the book. You can look at that depending on your worldview. You can say, well, this is staunch capitalism. This is horrible. Or you can look at it and say, this is socialism. This is horrible. Or you can look at it and say, oh, whatever you want to say about it. But the reality is it doesn't espouse any of those ideas while espousing all of them. And in that new world that we're building, when you, when you say, okay, open source may have caught us off guard. And the democratization of business and the web and technology may have caught us off guard, or maybe it didn't, and if not, great for you. But what does this next change do? What does the next wave do? And when you establish and when you empower an entire wave of creative professionals who may come work for your businesses or may not, this is a wonderful thing. And it's beyond the scope of our cloud Siri or our cloud topic today. I don't want to say it that way. Find a way to say that. It's beyond the scope of where we're at right now, but it's definitely integral to understanding how we take the topics that we're talking about today and work them in. Production note. All right. That was a great intro, but I think that ran a little bit long for being what I'll call a third of the way through here. This is a lecture series, not a lecture. So uh, may want to may want to condense that a little bit. All right. So here's what's becoming economically possible. And consider this as a transition into the quote unquote meat and potatoes. It's becoming possible to do things like spin up a WordPress instance, like I mentioned, to spin up a mag, uh, Magento instance. I almost said that wrong. To spin up a Magento instance. Now, spinning these things up for what? Five dollars a month is the base price on Amazon's AWS for this with light sale. $5 a month and a few clicks. That's it. The static IP, almost everything you need except for your domain is wrapped into this. It's included. Think about that for a moment. Magento, hosted from a Bitnami image on Google's AWS, uh, Google, <laughs> Jesus, on Amazon's AWS cloud. $5 a month. Now, if you're in business already and you've got a traditional mindset, this is a major problem for you. Magento is in the top five uh, list of e-commerce platforms, no matter who you ask, with a combined market share of around 10%. 10%. How do you make a top five with only around 10%? Someone out there should have some massive market share. And they do. WooCommerce is the leading e-commerce platform. And this is going to prove a point I've been trying to make here. I'll say it that way. WooCommerce is the leading e-commerce platform. And this is going to circle right back to where we were before with creative professionals. And, and I need you to hear this. According to almost all sources, according to almost all sources, WooCommerce, which is a WordPress plugin, powers just over I lost my stat. Oh, my sorry, my notes. Reorganize my notes. So I'll get to that. So WooCommerce, which is a WordPress press plugin. Now, WordPress powers just over 25% of all sites on the internet. So talking about the importance of spinning one of these instances up for $5 a month. So WordPress, 25% of all sites in the internet, give or take, and a plugin for it. One plugin, WooCommerce, is the leading e-commerce platform. Roughly 30% market share. 
give or take. I mean, I've struggled, and I truly mean struggled to the point of mental anguish. I need you to know that about me. I need you to know that about me as a human being standing in front of you. I have struggled learning to script and code on top of a multifaceted career because it's what's required to do the job. I've struggled to learn a little bit about your world of network management, of infrastructure, of this whole computing thing. If you ask my family what I do, they tell you, they will tell you something with computers. It's what my sister says all the time. He does something with computers, I don't know what. No, I'm, I'm over here on the business side. I have struggled my entire life to understand your realm. To me, programming is a side, 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 side thing that I've had to be proficient at. But it takes a lot longer to learn and maintain those things than it learns to add, subtract, multiply, or divide, or even how to learn, uh, learn to use Excel or any of the other things I do. And here we are in a world where WordPress can be spun up for $5 a month with a click and WooCommerce, the, the number one e-commerce package, which lets you know, I'm trailing here. I think the point is, this point is massive. I'm having trouble getting to it though. WooCommerce. All right, yeah, just, okay. Reinforce that, wrap it up. WooCommerce uh, links back to the creative professionals. Good, good, good. Um, I'm going to want to reorganize that. I may want to save Magento for after WooCommerce because WooCommerce leads in from the Word or, or WordPress leads into WooCommerce. I can move the 25% of all sites up to the initial WordPress mention, WooCommerce down. Yeah, then move into Magento because Magento is the one business people are going to care about. I mean, small business, sure, maybe running WooCommerce, but anyway. All right. Oh, oh, look at this. Look at this. Um, so uh, now I've switched. Sorry, I was giving myself a note. And I'm thinking about the people who will be listening later to this other than me. I'm in topic three in my notes and letter E. So topic three, letter E is my point. This is my note. My point, dot, dot, dot. Opportunity is ripe. I couldn't say that better even if I were still staying in script of the speech. All right, moving on to the next segment here. So let's take everything we've talked about so far and put it into one of the central tenets of the book. The flow of humanity does basically this. And I'm going to, I'm just going to state this. I'll let you internalize it as I say it. We as human beings, we take what's unimaginable. We don't even know it's out there. We don't even know there's a possibility for it. We take what's unimaginable and transition it into being imaginable. But there's a catch. It's still impossible. So we take what's unimaginable and we make it imaginable, but impossible. Then we take what's impossible and we turn it into being possible. But it's still difficult. So we take what's possible, but difficult, and we turn it into easy. But it's still manual. And then we take what's easy and manual and we automate it. And for the most part, in most of our business functions, this is where we're at. We're taking the things that are difficult and making them easy. And we're taking those things that are easy, but still manual and trying to automate them. 
Here's the thing about now, this point in time. We get that. You don't need me up here talking to you to understand that and to know what you need to do in your business. What you need me for and what you need a whole host of people like me within your organization, outside of your organization, and even in your customer base is to understand that when we automate something, it's still static. It's serving a fixed purpose. It's just taking that previously unimagined thing that was imagined and became possible and was difficult and then easy. And it's taking it and saying, I can, I can automate all of that. I can repeat it over and over mindlessly so that we don't have to numb anybody's mind to do it. I think a reference, maybe I'll put something in here about um, factory work or um, assembly lines or, uh, you know, something is on my mind right now. Um, think back to undergrad, management science, the thing where people take stopwatches and then calculate every movement. And they'd use, right, so it's, um, management science from the early 20th century maybe a really good resonating point here. And back into it now. So now that we've automated something, because it's easy and repeatable, we still have another job to do. Now, we may have 10 jobs to do, I don't know. But here at the state of human evolution that we're at now, our mental and physical evolution, where we're at right now, is we're automating these simple manual tasks where we need to go, the next step, and we can see this clearly now, is we need to take what's automated, but still static, and make it dynamic. Now, believe it or not, this is why cloud is so important. I've become one of those people who says cloud rather than the cloud. Oh. But the cloud is so important not only because, you know, everything we've talked about, but because we're taking what's difficult and making it easy, but manual, and then we're taking that and we're automating it, we're reinforcing the democratization of the world. And I don't mean in your ability to get up and vote in a polling precinct, and maybe that is true. We are seeing that to some degree. Now, not as quickly as we'd like, but remember that something like the internet, when hyperlinking was, was first envisioned hundreds of years ago, and we were looking for systems, and you used to have to write and, and write in to you know, some address far away, and they'd return back your query information. And then later in the early 20th century, when you'd go into a department store at an information desk and make a query, none of us were alive for any of this, were we? But these, these are the predecessors to Google. These are the predecessors to Bing. So we're democratizing the world. We can't get away from that. What does it mean? How does it impact us? How does that philosophical thing impact us in business? And we're lowering barriers to entry. And one of the ways we're doing this is the scaling of resources. Now, think about how many servers go into making a cloud environment. How many servers are a part of Azure or AWS or Rackspace or Google's cloud? A lot. I don't, I don't know the answer. That's a, sort of a rhetorical question there for those of us in business. But it serves all of these servers, all this whole thing, the whole concept of scaling up serves as the bedrock for many different technologies. Now, think about this for a moment. The cloud is the bedrock. I don't know if I like that term, but we're going to go with it for now. The bedrock for artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence so far has been limited to bot, chat bots and, and customer support bots and these things that are very, very automated but manual. We have to pre-program every potential combination that goes in there and look for keywords and, and map that against a database and then pull appropriate response and then ask if we got the response correct and hopefully learn from it. 
Now, a lot of times we may be just triggering a flag in the back end when people say, no, this wasn't helpful, and then building new logic around it. Now, of course, we know, we hear all the time that we're in a world where we're, we're using machine learning and, and computers are programmed to be able to program themselves to figure this out. But you and I generally don't have that. I don't care if you're in a Fortune 100 business. I've, I've worked there, been there, done that. You may not even be deploying this information. Sure, it may, it may be in your IT department somewhere for server management, but are you doing it for your business processes, for purchasing, for training? Probably not. Now, the con's also the bedrock. Again, don't know if I like that term. There's a bedrock for screenless computing. And this is really overlooked. Now, screenless computing will be another part of this lecture series, but here, here's, here's where we intersect between screenless computing, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, all focused around this idea of, ooh, the cloud. Think about screenless. Voice recognition has not been the problem. For years, it hasn't been the problem. Probably, you know, it's 2017 recording this, probably 20 plus years hasn't been the true problem. Screenless didn't take off before in the 90s or early 2000s, or even here in the early part of the teens of, of the 21st century. It didn't take off. Um, I needed my notes there and I did not look at them. Screenless didn't take off before because... Oh, I already said all this. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, it didn't take off because it was manual. Remember how I was describing the chatbots? You have to program every single possible response that you want them to accomplish or that you want them to be able to help your customers with. Whether those customers are internal or external, now I'm going on a tangent, I don't want that tangent in there, great. The same, oh man, I'm jumping ahead on my notes really badly right now. Hey, this would be great for the people listening after. This is how rough a uh, dry run can, can be. Mm. So chatbots, all right. Screenless was made easier, uh, you know, from pioneers like AT&T, Bell Labs, Microsoft. Dragon, which is now Nuance. So here's here's a here's a little story for you. In 1969, John Pierce of Bell Labs said that voice recognition was decades away because it required artificial intelligence. He said that in 1969, John Pierce Bell Labs. He was right. I mean, that's not only true because uh, we need AI-like complex computing, which we have now in a rudimentary form. Um, he, he didn't mean that because we need it for computing. He needed, he meant that we needed artificial intelligence because what's the word I want to use here? Because this screenless environment, this, oh no, not screenless because voice recognition didn't just need a lot of computing resources. That's what I just said, but because it needed to be dynamic, it needed an element of artificial intelligence. You don't care to say TV, turn on. You know, you don't care to do that unless you can also say, are there any Will Smith movies on right now? It's not about understanding the words. That's not the problem. It was understanding the language and the intent, the humanity behind it. Walking around, talking to thin air, looking like you're absolutely crazy receptors in your clothing as you're talking to the middle of nowhere, as you're talking into space, receptors in your clothing or your jewelry serving as microphones, detecting the vibrations in your voice, wirelessly communicating with the cloud to retrieve information, 
Can you imagine that future? Can you envision it? Can you see where you take that cell phone out of your pocket and one day you power it off? You put it in the drawer of antiques <laughs> and you never pull it out again. You don't need it. Maybe it's your shirt. Maybe it's your ring. Maybe it's your watch. I say that now. I don't think it's going to be your watch, but that's what we have right now. You can do that with the Apple Watch for the most part. Let this device, let the let your t-shirt speak, speak back to you. Seamlessly, not having to take some battery pack out when you wash it or some microphone. Integrate these technologies wherever we can. Let the wall talk to you. Display information through sunglasses, contact lenses, the heads-up display in your vehicle or public heads-up displays, the nearest public information wall. Now, it, that sounds horrible. Public information wall sounds like something out of 1984, doesn't it? That's because I don't know what we're going to call the technology. But it's not hard to envision at some point you're going to walk into public space and you're going to be able to claim an a, a section of a wall or a freestanding kiosk or something. Or just have information floating in front of your face like you see in sci-fi. Again, it's our limitation of understanding the technologies will pre present or will, excuse me, invent that prevent me from telling you exactly what the experience looks like. But we know good enough, well enough. Sure, you don't need to walk around wearing a HoloLens, but you're probably going to have some holograms floating around your head. More layers of abstraction are continually going to be added in. So, and this is good though. When you hear abstraction, a layer of abstraction, we start to panic. And we say, oh, more complexity, something else to manage. But listen, more layer of complexity by adding in the cloud and adding in Linux and adding in different distros and adding in Bitnami images. Well, that's just made somebody's day really great because they can spin up that WordPress instance yet again for $5 a month. Abstraction wasn't bad in that case. And so we in business are going to abstract the same way. You don't need to know networking and programming and scripting and, 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 and. And then even more about business to move up into management. No, what every single person in technology is going to need to be, especially those in management and leadership positions, they're going to need, we're going to need to be inclusive language. We're going to need to be business professionals first and foremost. Just like the teams of engineers who are working on airplanes, cars, and rockets, just like all of them in the 20th century who are managed by project managers, in the 21st century, this is stacking up as agile coaches leading horizontal cross-disciplinary teams of SMEs. Taking your subject matter experts and letting them do what they do. A little bit of a transition here, but this means that operating systems are not dead yet, but they're dying. So Apple has this not so well hidden plan that's okay, that they're okay with the idea of OS X eventually fading away one day. Hopefully for them, hopefully they think it's in favor of iOS. I think we all have doubts about that in the business uh, in the enterprise technology space. But Apple would be okay for the most part if OS X just were not relevant anymore. And for the most part, despite some niche followings. But if OS X goes away, you'd be fine. You'd recover. So moving on from Apple, Microsoft failed in phone. The phone space over and over and over. We're talking all the way back to Windows Windows CE embedded back against Palm and BlackBerry when they were losing market share to BlackBerry. 
and then got decimated by Apple. Everybody got decimated by Apple. And then when they tried to pick up and say, all right, we're the, we've been in this game. We're going to go against Apple. We're going to take two years to fix, fix this whole thing. And by the way, Android appeared then. So Microsoft fails, just like every other company. And, and just how Apple would be okay if OS X went away. Microsoft is sitting here looking at Windows and having to consider turning it into the hub this desktop hub where the desktop is still the center of our computing activities and it serves as the hub for your phone and your television and everything else. Windows doesn't compete with Android and iOS anymore in at least many device form factors. What they do is they augment the experience. Even Windows Server is being replaced in theory, at least, by Azure. That's the long play, isn't it? No more individual licenses for on-prem server. I mean, I'm sure we'll have them, but by and large, Spend all your data up to the cloud. It's secure. We can even make it more secure. That hyper-specialization where you can get all of the best security experts in a room working for a limited number of cloud providers. Oh, I'm having a tangent here. Uh, may need some information on centralization versus decentralization there because that's a centralization function. And that goes back to the comment I made earlier about people looking at the, the works that I do and argue that they're too laissez-faire capitalist or too socialist and getting those two extremes. I may want to explain how the centralization of computing resources still reinforces democratization. Anyway, so Azure, but Azure is a distant second to Amazon's AWS cloud, but by workload, right? So we're, we're talking about by earnings, it's a second distance, but, or, or um, excuse me, size, but by no earnings. Well, we don't know earnings. What's the measure? Oh, I'm going to have to fact check my source here, aren't I? So I do know. I see. I trust these numbers, but they're not being clear about what they're reporting. Here's what I do know. Let me go to what I do know, and I can figure out the rest listening back. So um, by workload, Azure is nearing parity with AWS. Now, both are growing at rates that are just insane. Something like five or six billion dollars per year between just these two cloud services, Azure and AWS. Five to six billion dollars a year. Some of us would love, even if we're in major companies, we would love to turn our companies into, into businesses that size, let alone, let alone have a business unit like cloud computing that's that size where we're a significant chunk of that market share. I mean, geez, I, I, cloud is, is over a billion dollars a year to Amazon, and it's got to be approaching that for Microsoft. AWS is still getting roughly 50% year-over-year growth, and Azure is getting 90 to 100% year-over-year growth. Not only is Azure catching up, but this whole field is running away from itself. Now, relating things back to the chat box we were talking about before, assistance and screenless technologies. Google Assistant and Siri may be the most used assistants, but Microsoft builds one of the most thorough frameworks for bot development, right? Leverage Amazon or leverage Android and iOS when you can. Those are the destination points for most customers and most businesses of using these. So why shouldn't Microsoft make that service and put it there? I'll find a way to tighten that up. Amazon leverage of cloud and retail divisions perfectly in the creation of the Amazon Echo. Now, Echo features Alexa, which, by the way, where did that name come from, right? That's that's their web acquisition, the web statistics property that they acquired years and years ago, Alexa.com. But what a seamless transition. What a seamless leveraging 
of both cloud and retail. Microsoft has Cortana, and by the end of the year, Amazon and Microsoft have confirmed that the two, Alexa and Cortana, will work together. Wow. The two companies duking it out in the cloud in this behemoth fight. Fight, fight, fight. And they're going to work together to make their assistance available on each other's devices. They're working together. It's not just that, and I need you to see through it. I need you to come into the mind space together where we see what Amazon and Microsoft are doing. They're working to remove the smartphone as the dominant home for personal assistance and make them available everywhere. Amazon has their cloud as one of their main pillars of their business. They want that cloud powering these assistants everywhere, not just on one company's phone or one company's operating system. Microsoft has the second largest cloud and they're not doing so. By the way, both of these companies have failed in phone. It's not just Microsoft. Remember the Fire Phone? Well, that was what their market share did. Lit up in fire before they even wanted to cut that joke. That's a bad one. That wasn't even on my notes. In my notes. I tried. Whew. Glad I didn't have to make that one in front of people. I'll still do it. I know that. They want these assistants to be everywhere, in your home, in your car, on every single computer, smartphone, and tablet that you own, in the middle of thin air. Google, a couple years back, announced that their search volumes had peaked, and that there was nothing they were going to do, save giving another billion people on Earth, which they were trying to do, and still are, and other companies are as well, save for giving another billion people mobile devices and internet connectivity. Searches had peaked. It have some type of organic growth, sure. But that the search engines that were out there have, I mean, when that's the first time that I know of in history that a publicly traded company has been able to go to their shareholders and say, that's it folks, there's no more growth. We'll get organic growth with the population, we'll get organic growth as more devices come online, but that's stable, we know the rate, we have projections for it, that's it folks, we've reached the top. Hmm. Then we push to where I don't have to sit at a computer or even a mobile phone and type in a query. Now I can just speak it in the air. I can say, okay, Google, sorry for setting off all of your phones. I mean that both for the multimedia listeners and for myself later and for those who would be listening to this lecture series once it's refined and, and out there. So what's next after mobile? That's another topic in this lecture series that I'm developing. Right? Mobile is, is going to be the focus uh, of an entire session. But over five years ago, over five years ago, we knew that mobile was reaching a peak. The user base is continuing to grow, sure, because hardware costs are dropping and there's a general increase in the quality of life worldwide. What's that thanks to? Computers, the internet, etc. We all know that. But does mobile have to be a mobile phone? No, look how we say that. Think of the English language. We, we, don't, we don't say what a lot of Europeans say and talk about someone's mobile. They're mobile. We talk about their mobile phone. We talk about their phone. Microsoft is banking on mobile mixed reality or integrating computing into the real world, essentially. Those overlays, those holograms we talked about. Amazon's banking on screenless. Just talking within your house and having the nearest microphone pick it up and do whatever you want. 
Look at what the cloud is doing for these two biggest companies in the space, a retailer and a software company. They're enabling new form factors and dynamic abilities based on speech, vision, and to some degree touch, with Microsoft being the major driver of, of touchscreens and pen input thanks to Windows. But speech with Alexa and Cortana, vision, these holograms floating around in HoloLens, touchscreens, I think even the, uh, the Echo Show has a touchscreen. Meanwhile, mobile is the current undisputed king or emperor of technology. That emperor, by the way, may or may not be wearing clothes, but we can't tell if it's wearing clothes or not because it's a quantum state. Yet another one of the technologies we'll talk about. Google's growing, sure, but don't trust these surveys and you've been a part of them, don't trust these surveys that say Google's 15% of the cloud market based upon respondents saying blah, blah, blah. That's not a measure of the cloud. Use your business logic here. That's a measure of company adoption of the concept, of company adoption or likelihood of going with a brand. That doesn't mean anything about the actual size of a cloud. By workload, you know, actual compute cycles and how much each public cloud is actually doing, generating revenue, and calculating data. By most reports I see there, Amazon's 40-ish percent of the market and Microsoft's 30-ish percent. With Microsoft closing in on Amazon, like we talked about, nearly double the growth rate of Amazon. Google is down in the second tier with Rackspace and IBM. Google Assistant, again, may be the most popular assistant, but their cloud behind there uh, is lacking. So much so that Google's partnered with Cisco to attempt to entice enterprise users. I don't care that 15% of responding companies from some survey say they're using Google Cloud. It's a bullshit metric unless you're looking at the concept of adoption or indicators of branding. So where's Apple? I think I need to make it more clear that when I'm transitioning to Google and Apple, I'm refuting the, the mobile as the future claim. Apple banked on protecting customer data so much in such the wrong way that they're behind in the cloud. They're not even looking at catching up. Apple's only involved in the conversation because they're a dominant mobile platform in the US. They have less than 20% smartphone market share globally despite being the number one, or despite having the number one device, they fluctuate whether they're the number one device manufacturer between them and Samsung, but the number one device, sure. They've pretty much had that on lock for years. Google's Android is the emperor. Apple is a regent. iOS is a viceroy. <laughs> you know, it's a viceroy in the US alone with our most lavish economy ever devised. I mean, we'll go out and buy a new device to replace something that works perfectly well because the company that makes it changed their logo. And we think it improves our lives in some way to support the new logo. Wow. Wow. Everybody wants the next big thing, but it's already happening. And that's what I've stated with cloud computing. The cloud isn't just some magical future. That future snuck up on us about half a decade ago when you got tired of hearing how this thing would revolutionize the world. It has, by old standards and definitions. Now, it's accelerating at a pace that nobody thought we'd see. Business is radically transformed. Remember when owning your own business was a big deal? 
the licenses and permits and certificates. It was also fancy and meant you were paying more for phone service and electricity and all of that. And you could afford it. And what did the web come and do? It catapulted an entire prior technology, personal computers, and spearheaded the largest push towards democratization in business that we have ever seen. You as an individual now, as an individual, not as a business even, can accept credit cards, flaunt your employee ID number, if you have an LLC or other disregarded entity, brag about being bothered to fill out a Schedule C with your tax returns. <laughs> Individuals clamor to do this sometimes. We in business hate it. Now what happens when most every digital tool you could ever want to work with is a click away? I need to reinforce this better through. This goes back to light sale being just one click. With little to no technical knowledge required. One click away. Little to no technical knowledge. And damn near to free, at least to start, scalable. Scalable pricing. So that student right out of college with nothing more than 100 bucks to spare, or the barista or cashier who wants to found a new empire, these folks can find overnight success, not just in a business space, but as creative professionals. They can find overnight success, not in the 15 years we used to quote as saying that's how long it took. That was weird and grammatically incorrect. Not in the 15 years we used to say that overnight success took, but with a new lower average of maybe just one, two or three years. What products, services, innovations and life-changing results are we looking at? Just because we have great big server farms, does that make us smarter as a species? So when it comes to cloud computing, let me recap it all. Hyperspecialization is real, but for the most part, we don't want to have to hyperspecialize in business. On the business side of things, on the management, the leadership, the, the, the business innovation, we need to be generalists for the most part. I need to be able to spin up a server instance and not necessarily know every single working feature of that server, but enough to get it done. And then I need to walk over and do the same thing on a manufacturing line. The cloud is enabling us to do this. It's enabling us to put, economically, specialists in the appropriate place. It's letting us take specialists and gainfully employ them in businesses that need those specialists to build these tools to help us be generalists. Now, enabling generalists with a high-tech society, a high-tech culture, a high-tech world, relative to where we've been in the past, right? If you're making any progress in your high tech relative to the past. But what it means for us is we move away from the impossible. We move away from the difficult. We move away from the even the easy manual tasks to do. We move away from the static automation and we move to something dynamic. We won't be sitting in front of our computers for eight hours a day much longer even at work. We won't be staring at our cell phones nonstop much longer. The cloud is enabling a whole new world. It's transformed your mobile devices and your computers already. Think about the Star Trek-like comm badge that you may wear in the future that has every single bit of that at your fingertips. When you need a screen, one appears in front of you thanks to a wall, a public display, a contact lens, a pair of sunglasses, a heads-up display. Maybe one day we'll get to a, a, a neuro implant. 
I don't want an implant. I'd love a neurotransmitter, something that I can wear outside of my skull. Who knows if we'll get there? But the cloud is what's enabling it. Here are the, here's the action item you need to take away from this. Where are you putting money and resources currently that someone else has solved for you? Using AWS LightSail, that project I'm in the middle of right now, is letting me move away from a $300 a year expense and move that down to $60 a year. From 300 to 60. But I don't know if you have done the math in your head like I'm doing in mine. That's an 80% reduction in expenditure. I'm not saying the cloud's gonna give us that reduction everywhere. A reduction in cost, making computing cheaper still, not just from hardware innovation, a decrease in labor expense. Sure, I, there has been a learning curve. I've needed to learn new things and that has taken time, but it's reduced my management time frame. Now I know the tools to scale, not to build out manually, but to scale eventually in an automated fashion. So a long-term investment in time, it will pay off. An immediate reduction in cost and an immediate increase in ability. We've got a new world in front of us, folks. And so one of the things that happens here a lot with these speeches, and this is where I'm going to end it, is you put the point, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the point there and let a conclusion sort of naturally evolve as I continue to write this section of the book and as I go through dry runs of this topic. So, I mean, if you're looking for a big conclusion, I'll go do a show conclusion now. But for my notes, that's where it ends. Um, all of the points are there, and I can start reworking this amazingly rough draft of this lecture series. So back to multi new media. If you've been listening, thank you so much. I hope this has been valuable for you in, in multiple levels, not only looking at what the future of the cloud is, and I know you're getting that in an unrefined uh, session today because I want to announce that I'm working on a book and I'm working on a lecture series, but also that you can get some production notes behind the scenes of how to make your presentations, your speeches a little bit better, do some of the legwork required, create not just notes, but go through dry runs, record yourself, listen back, put these topics in conversation and really give your presentations the work they uh, require. And I will say this, what I'm doing right now is not actually practicing the speeches that I'll give as a part of this lecture series. In no way, form or fashion am I doing that. All I'm doing is drilling the organization, drilling the outline into my head. So that way, if I were to show up and someone books me for this lecture series, or if I'm able to get, you know, I, I'm not even trying to go that big. If I even get to talk, since there are multiple topics in it, if I even get to talk about this one topic two, three, four times, I'm happy. So what I want to be able to do is roll up. And if even, that, even if I have no materials, if someone catches me at the last minute and says, can you go with that lecture series? We need it in two hours. That I can go through the flow, that I can cater it to my audience, that I can read the room that I'm in and not have to worry about what I'm going to say with note cards and everything else. So if um, hopefully this episode is helpful in those two ways. Until next time, take care. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.